0: Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying The Director's Cut, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes or like us on SoundCloud. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director James Franco's new biographical comedy-drama The Disaster Artist, which dramatizes the making of writer-director Tommy Wiseau's The Room, one of the most infamous films in Hollywood history that is often referred to as the Citizen Kane of bad movies. The Disaster Artist charts the film's strange beginnings through its odd and troubled development and release into its eventual status as a hit cult feature. In addition to The Disaster Artist, Mr. Franco's credits include the feature films In Dubious Battle, The Sound and the Fury, Bukowski, and As I Lay Dying, and episodes of the series The Deuce and Making a Scene with James Franco. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Mr. Franco spoke with director Paul Haggis about filming The Disaster Artist. During their conversation, Mr. Franco discusses what drew him to adapt the book about the beleaguered production of The Room how he juggled playing such an enigmatic character while also directing the film, and how the Tommy Wiseau cameo came together.
1: Hello.
2: Man. Um, I have pages of notes here. But mostly what they just keep saying is what the fuck <laughs> you know <laughs> that's rhetorical you don't need to answer it um, so this is and correct me if i'm wrong this is the uh, the first time we'd worked with sess since you would uh, brought down a major studio was that the <laughs> first
1: uh, i i think so I, yeah uh, was that his we idea won't, or actually, yours? we well actually we i read the book yeah The Disaster Artist while we were making the interview. So we were in Vancouver, and um, I had not seen the room. Um, But you've
2: seen the posters all over, the billboards. uh, Yeah. It was actually a singular billboard, wasn't it? How many billboards were there in? uh,
1: There might have been more, yeah. like I think, I mean, it was all on Tommy's Dime. But yeah, yeah, there's definitely the one on Highland. Yeah. And then I think for a while there was even like one on Sunset or whatever. But yeah, you remember those, right? Yeah, absolutely. Did, and you no knew idea you knew it was. it was a you knew it was a movie. No, I had no fucking yeah. idea, man. You yeah. said the room. It was like a was like wanted a, poster. It was or something. like a phone number <laughs> or something.
2: Out of it It was like really weird. Yes.
1: <laughs> Look. but
2: you figure it was some like you know Angelique or something like that. Angelina, you know, Angeline,
1: yeah, stuff. who's yeah, who's in the thing? Like, because yeah. she had she had one not far away on Sunset for a while with yeah. the Corvette, and there was a number. Yeah, and I knew who she was because you'd see her yeah. driving around in the pink Corvette. So I. Th- I either thought, like, call that number and you can get a vampire in your movie, yeah. or it was a cult, or I don't yeah. know. But, yeah, that's all I knew. And
2: So who sent you the book? How did you get the book?
1: I it was I read it right when it came out. It was in the New York Times book review, mm-hmm. and um, uh, someone was like, hey, I know you like Hollywood stories. Like, yeah. this looks really good. And uh, I got it immediately. And, yeah, before I was halfway through, we went to a screen. I was like, this is... An amazing story. Yeah, I got to see this thing, yeah. and we went to a screening in Vancouver. And like Canadians, they do it right. <laughs> like that, I've been to many screenings of The Room since then, and yeah, they had more spoons. Like th- they throw spoons. I don't know uh, how, how many people have seen The Room. Okay, yeah. they throw. They had more spoons in Vancouver. Better callback lines. More footballs. Wow. Everything, and. uh and I met Greg Sestero that night. He was promoting his book, yeah. and I just said, "I you, I gotta do this thing, yeah." yeah. And mm-hmm. then and then I gave it to book uh, the, the book to uh, to Seth, yeah. And because um, I knew because I had made I had made quite a few sort of literary indie movies. Yeah. You just do Faulkner over and over again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and I did a couple Faulkners, like, one McCarthy Cormac McCarthy, yeah. And true. Steinbeck and and um and I just thought, all right, this. Has enough weirdness that it's yeah. like it'll appeal to me, but Seth, you know, you know how to work with studios yeah. and still make the movies you want to make. Yeah. help and uh, and so yeah. Now
2: was it the? Uh, I mean, it's a, probably a hard question, but was it the character that you, the character you wanted to play or a story you wanted
1: to tell? It was both. Like when you get, yeah. you know, something like a piece of a story or a piece of source material. Like there's a the, Often there's a few things that just come to mind, right? You have there's like a scene or a something, you know, with a sequence that you're just like, oh, I, I gotta do that. It's just the seed. Yeah. and it builds from there. you know, there's a whole thing, but it's like there's a few images sometimes that you get. And I, and I was I thought, yeah, I want to tell this story. I, I understand this story strangely. Like underneath all the insanity and how bizarre he is, it's really just a Hollywood story of two dreamers that are outsiders and they yeah. come to follow their dreams. Like it's- So you identified with that? For sure, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I think most people that come to Hollywood do, right? Like, yeah. I mean, when I know of your story, yeah, you were, you know, a young man in Hollywood and you're just like, how do I get into this thing, right? And it's like, you got the passion, but like, it's a, it's a thing. It's, it's the, it's the, um, Story of any artist, you know, uh, who am I? What do I want to do? How do I do it? How do I do this thing? Who do I do it with? And all those things are there. It's just through the upside down, cracked lens of these bizarre characters, you know. And I and so part of me thought this appeals to me. you know, some of my favorite movies are movies about artists or the creative process and that kind of thing. And this would have all that. It would just be sort of the upside down. I mean, the movie,
2: at one point, breaks your heart. (laughs) It broke mine. Uh, And and did the book do that to you?
1: For sure. I mean, my friend um, Chris Bauer, who's on The the Deuce with me, watched it, and he was like, oh, my God, that was crazy. I, I identified so much. But it's also like identifying with this version of the Hollywood story is like, he said, it's like, trying to catch a cold on purpose like that like because it's because you (laughs) identify and you sympathize but it's also on another level it's sad i don't know the end for me the ending was always like it's a success story but it's also ironic and sad and weird like he then has to you know rewrite history and take credit for it being a comedy which will give him everything that he sort of wanted a, you know a community and friends and all of this stuff and on the other hand he intended to make you know great drama of, you know this he, thing, he told you know. me
2: he went on after this uh, Tommy did and tried to make several other films right
1: well that's the i mean the ongoing saga of Tommy Wiseau is, is uh, wild and weird and uh, there's a Tommy before the room and then a Tommy after the room He's the great rewriter of history, right? He intended it to be comedy. You know, w- when it first came out, he wrote on the billboard, or on the poster, uh, Tennessee Williams level drama, right? So that's what he intended, <laughs> and he, it um, Did he it cost- quote
2: himself, or did he just, no, just- What's that? He, he didn't actually quote himself on that one.
1: Well, there were, no, and then there were a couple of reviews from, um, Sources uh, that I don't think have been any, uh, on any other poster, like, I don't know, Beverly Hills 9 or 200 or something yeah. like that. And it said, um, <laughs> and he had obviously written them, Tommy Wiseau, the Raging Cajun delivers like a power punch, you know, something like that. And um, uh, so, and then it cost $6 million, it made $1,800 when it came out. He kept it in the theater on his own dime to qualify for the Academy Awards. So, it all, you know, all that says, like, he intended to make this great drama. Came out, people laughed at it. But unlike, you know, some of these other people that have these movies like Troll 2, you know, um, where it became a cult hit because it's so bad, and the director sort of rejected that and, like, said, well, screw you. You don't understand my movie. You're laughing at my movie. Tommy capitalized on that and then said, well, I intend that, right? And now he says about the room, you know, a room is safe place. You can laugh, you can cry, do whatever you like, express yourself. Just don't hurt yourself, right? <laughs> so, so as a actor and director, I couldn't really go to him as a source, like to ask him what he was like, you know, before, because he'll, yeah, you know, I'll get nothing. Like, yeah, I intended, blah, blah. and so, um, but Greg Zestero, um, the other actor, uh, had stolen these tapes. Tommy used to record himself doing everything. He'd drive around in his car and talk to himself about everything. Acting teachers and, you know, Uh, everything. And it was like having his journal or something. He knows I have the tapes now. You know, he calls them secret tape. I know you have a secret tape. (laughs) And, uh, but they were like from, you know, 20 years ago, five years before he made The Room. And it was just as an actor, it was incredible. Not only could I hear the voice, repeat the voice, listen to the voice; it was his inner life, his inner monologue. And you know, this teacher, he don't understand me. Whatever, well, he treat me different than the other students. Uh, Whatever, well, I think he sensed my power and he intimidated. You know what I mean? And like there, it's like that's how his mind yeah. worked. And and, like,
2: and, and and Greg actually seems to have been, you know, sensed his power and was intimidated at the first scene. You go, I mean, Greg <laughs> senses something there,
1: right? Yeah. Well, you can see that it's like. It's funny Greg Sestero the real one said something to me he's like right before we started he's like you know you uh you met Seth Rogen when you were about 20 when you guys were doing freaks and geeks and then you've gone on to work together for almost 20 years and then I met this guy <laughs> Tommy when I was 20 why did how that happen and <laughs> but um as far as uh <laughs> So I was very grateful at that moment. But uh, um, uh, what happened is Tommy took on that persona that he thought everybody wanted him to be, you know, the funny, wacky, weird Tommy. When he was making the movie, he threw his heart and soul into it. And so now he can sort of never repeat the room, you know, because now he's trying to be funny, which is, Weird, on the other hand, um, and so so this new stuff that yeah. he's made is just like, and, and he makes you watch it. Like we did a all the behind the scenes stuff here. Like we sh- we shot that the, the day before principal production. We went to our screening of the room. It was supposed to start at midnight in Westwood. It didn't start until, the room didn't start till 2.30 a.m. Like uh, he comes out and sells his underwear. He's got Wiseau underwear. So that's one thing that he's doing now, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, and it's, it says YZO in huge letters are there, and he puts it on guys in the lobby, and then they come out on stage and model the underwear, and and then he'll do, a, you know, and then he makes you watch his other stuff, Neighbors, which is a show, but you don't just watch one episode; you he makes you watch like all the episodes, <laughs> 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 and it's just like. Yeah, anyway, um does he
2: also show up at like Q&As unannounced or anything like that?
1: Um no, he makes sure you know. But he but but it's the amazing thing about it though. Like where he was so unaware and so he lacked so much self-awareness when he was making the room, right? He intended he thought it was James Dean, right? Yeah. And he's quoting James Dean in the, you know, thing. When he realized that there was, you know, an audience for the movie when you know they were having fun with it, he became like a maestro of of self-promotion and 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 selling this thing. And and he's I mean, he's got the savvy of a Kardashian to capitalize on, you know, what, what people want. He knows what they want. And he and he goes to these things. And what's what's what I like about it is it's not cruel. I've I've come across a, a people that are like, "Yeah, I'm not into the laughing at the thing it's so bad kind of thing." And I'm like, "It's not quite like that. When you go to these screenings, it's very communal. Mm-hmm. When Tommy shows up, people are so excited to see him. And it's it's a different so it's kind not. of thing." Yeah, and he got he got everything that he kind of wanted in that in that sense. Greg, on the other hand, who you think like would run a million miles away from this, this whole thing, uh, wrote the book, and I can understand that because at a certain it's point, Greg- great story, yeah. Yeah, at a certain point, Gre- yeah, it was a great story, but also Greg knew that The Room was not a good movie, and so he, he probably thought, well, at least nobody will ever see it, yes. right? <laughs> but 14 and a half years later, it's still playing in all the theaters, and it's what Greg Sestero is known for, and so he had to kind of take some ownership back. Okay, makes sense. And he wrote a great book with Tom Bissell, and and got his story out and his version out, which is good for him. But he saw an early screening of our movie. I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah, and he he said that I rehumanized Tommy for him, and he took a week and wrote a whole uh, feature length screenplay. Called best friends with the R in parentheses, so it's best friends, friends, best fiends, and um, it's this movie for he was for he and Tommy to star in, and they shot it. It was it was so long they had to kill Billet, So it's volume one, volume two, best fiends, and um, and it's coming out. And then they were, <laughs> and they asked me to be in it, and I for a second I was like uh, maybe, and then I was like you know what I. I can't keep going down this rabbit hole with these guys, um, but they—they they, um, consider. They're like, yeah, we consider it um, the uh, third part of the Room trilogy. And and all, Seth and I got this email. Where we're like, oh, the third part. What's the <laughs> second part? And they're like, yeah, your movie's the second part in the Room trilogy. We're like, oh, okay. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So.
2: Oh. Well, it's a staggeringly, <laughs> good, staggeringly good performance. How, how did you? Uh, how did you? You, I mean, it's you go there. I mean, yeah, you fucking go there. Uh, how were you brave enough to do that when you're actually directing as well? Did, was was Seth yeah. out there often to, to say, "Whoa, just just a second, you got to pull this yes. back in or something"? You're
1: right. You're right. Um, you're onto something. Um, I uh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> I, dir- I've directed myself a lot. Yeah. The key to that is strong producers, great producers that you that you trust. So I direct myself on the on the deuce with David Simon and, and that gang and um and I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna have to go back and forth to the monitor all the time, you know what I mean? And and so when you're in sync with producers like that and with Seth and and, and Point Gray and all that, um, it's a very kind of fluid thing. They know what I'm going for and um and we've worked together yeah. for almost 20 years and so um on those sets and it was really you know it was really a dynamic that was established by um Judd Apatow where um i remember on not quite on freaks and geeks but by the time um he did forty year old virgin and knocked up he'd always have um writers behind him mm-hmm. that were um writing Alt jokes and alt lines, wow. and so Judd could throw out suggestions. The actors were free to try things, and then these writers, who in that in those early days were Seth and Evan Goldberg, um, everybody could contribute, and it was like sort of an open dialogue. and And you had people, you know, granted, you had people there that yeah. got it and were good, and everybody, you know, everybody that's contributing is is solid. Um, but it's sort of this open collaborative thing, and, the and then. But it was also the perfect apprenticeship, you know, kind of program where, then when Seth and Evan went to direct, this is the end. They had been on a number of sets right behind, you know, Judd, and um, and so, and then I had worked with them in that, you know, on those films, and so then when I was the director and they were the producers, it was just sort of. It felt very familiar, and you know, and sort of, it's a little bit musical cherry kind of thing.
2: And uh, the uh, obviously the last scenes improvised, right? The uh, the scene with with Tommy. With Tommy? Oh, yeah. that's a whole that's yeah. a whole story itself. Uh, uh,
1: yes, it's improvised. How did improvised? that come about? Uh, let's see. I had to get Tommy's life rights. Yeah. It was surprisingly easy. It turns out um, I was his. He wanted me. I was his second choice. He wanted um, he wanted Johnny Dapp to play him, but um, after Johnny, of all the actors, I was the one that he was thinking of. And but then I had approached him, so it was in a weird way. It was almost like we were meant for each other. So he's like, okay, yeah, okay, James, I've seen your stuff. You know, you do some good things, you do some bad things, and I, you know. And I was like, okay, okay, and so. Anyway I got this so like, he wasn't overly impressed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay. but I had played James Dean and I and Greg told me later that he had watched my my version of James Dean many, many times. so I think yeah, that was something that had something to do with it. and so but his big um, contract uh, point was that he have a scene in the movie. He didn't read his contract very well and it just said we had to shoot it. Mm-hmm. didn't say we had to put it in the movie. Yeah. now later, he came out and was, was like, well, no, there were two contracts. <laughs> it's like, I don't think it works that way, Tommy. Like, the point of a contract is sort of like everybody agrees. And he's like, no, no, two contracts. One say I have to be in a movie. We're like, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but anyway, when we're... And, I, and look, I wanted him in it. Like, I thought it would be a cool yeah. thing, you know, a kind of yeah. Hitchcockian nod or whatever. And But in the background, you know what I mean? Not like... Yeah. You know, front and center, and and he kept insisting, no, it has to be seen with James, opposite James. And I had heard the tapes, right, in those early recordings. Yes. One of those tapes was Tommy with his dialect coach. So I I'd, I'd heard him trying to get rid of that dialogue and failing miserably. You know, oh, like yeah, yeah. Tommy, don't roll your r. No, okay, don't roll r. Got it. Okay, all right. <laughs> and it's like, so I knew. He, I mean, everybody knew, but like I knew, especially like this guy can't play anything other than himself. And like Tom- I'm like Tommy, it's not gonna make sense. Yeah. I'm playing you. Yeah. It's not that kind of movie. And he's like, No, no, I'll have to be with James. And, you know, in contract. I don't know. So we <laughs> were like, All right, well, we can't give him like an a, an important part or any even like a a doorman or something that that we can't cut around. Throw sure, you but, out of the movie exactly. Yeah, yeah. and so. There was a scene that sort of got cut up, but I'm at a birthday party, and my Tommy is uh, upset because he realized that Greg has all these friends, and Tommy's only friend is Greg, so he's in the corner by the food, pouting. And then this other character is gonna come up and talk to him. Tommy said, uh, well, I want my character to be named Hanre. And we're like, okay, you can be Han Ray. <laughs> fine, fine, <laughs> and, um, and then three days before, you know, uh, I'm sure you get this all the time from actors, three days before he uh, sends me this text, and um, he's obviously in lens crafters and there's glasses, all the glasses on the wall are behind him, and he's got these big glasses on, and he's like, what you think of glasses, they, they're good for character? I'm like, yeah, they're fine, Tommy, fine, <laughs> fine for Han Ray. they're good, and and he had drawn on a mustache with big pen in this photo <laughs> and a little soul patch, and he, and he says, uh, yeah, if you like mustache, I draw it on better when we shoot. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, "I'm like, dude, I'm like, what kind of movie do you think this is? I'll, I'll get you a mustache, okay? I'll get you a mustache, I'll get you a mustache. He shows up, and we hadn't dealt with him that much. We didn't know what he was gonna be like. He turned out he was actually incredibly sweet. He won us all over. We re- really liked him. But okay, we go to do the scene, and it was this bizarre thing. And like, it doesn't it doesn't quite play in 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 the scene. But I'm I'm acting with him. Yeah. Video village is over there. Seth and everybody are over there watching the monitor. <clears throat> so I see him out of my corner of my eye. He's improvising and he's like smelling the little baby carrots and stuff. Just weird, and and then he sort of gets all coy and he's uh he goes um, so uh, we go and I'm like go go where he's like back to my place right? Everybody, Billy, oh my god, because he's hitting on me, but it's not. He's not just hitting on me. He's hitting on himself. Yes, it was god. like <laughs> ultimate, like you know. Narcissist dream nar- or whatever narcissism squared and, exactly yeah. yes and uh, <laughs> anyway we shot the scene um, my editor put it in the first assemblage and we're like all right it's, you know she and I were the only ones that watched it we're like okay ha-ha, get that out of there yeah. but we had um, recreated the the room scenes for the premiere scene in the thing we needed something up on the screen right but we we were so proud of our recreations we were like, well, we got to do it side-by-side. Like, that wasn't yeah. the original plan. Right. We're like, w- we, we'll put it in the credits. It'll be great, right? But we hadn't negotiated for the room footage. Yeah. And so we went back to Tommy and we're like, we need, you know, these scenes. And he's like, he yeah, has somebody. I don't know who told, but he's like, so how am I seeing in there? <laughs> like, it, it ain't in there. Yeah. And he's like, you, well, you want you want my footage? you like, have to put my scene in the movie. And for a second, we're like, no! Yeah. This guy, we didn't think he would, like... Yeah you know get his fingerprints on a thing but in the end we're like oh we can put it at the end like a marvel tag yeah. it'll be perfect yeah. super fans will love it and uh and it worked out
2: now how'd you work with your brother before with dave
1: <laughs> not to this extent like yeah. he like How, i said how'd you, know, you decide to cast him yeah, I, I, I want it. I love it. I think he's just a great actor. I've always wanted to work with him. I've asked him to work with me many times, and, and, he's and turned said you no, down. he said no. He said no. I love that. Now, everybody, like I was saying before, everybody has their sort of struggle, story of struggle or coming to Hollywood or whatever. You think with him, like, yeah, your brother, you know, your brother was on Freaks and Geeks when you were actually in high school. Like, you didn't have it hard. And his story was like, well,. I came to hollywood and then i was james franco's little brother and so for a long time he he just wanted to separate himself from me and so that's why he said no to some of them others were just too weird for him and he's <laughs> like i don't yeah i don't want to be in chrome yeah. mccarthy necrophilia movie or whatever <laughs> so um but this one i read it and so the, the yeah the three things i thought were i want to tell the story i know like i as weird as Tommy is, I get it. I feel like I can get in there as an actor. And I know that I have the right dynamic with my brother. One of the, you know, because the bond was, you know, very yeah, close very between those guys. Yeah. But also, one of the things that we had done, the few things we had done, was a series of um, videos for Funny or Die, where I play a ridiculous, over-the-top acting coach, and he plays my student. And he looks at me, you know, like I'm an idiot. And... It was sort of the dy- it was the seed of the dynamic for Tommy and Greg, and so I just knew that we'd be right, you know, and he'd be right. And, and it,
2: I'm sorry, and and went back to the other question. So the, the end was improvised. Were many of the scenes when you got there? Did you improvise them with him? Did you, or, the, or did um, you pretty much stick to To the a
1: script? certain extent? I mean, the writers were there. Newstead and Weber were there every day, yeah. and we had um, other writers, and 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 then the Point Grey, the producers, Seth and his company. Um, and so there were times, yeah, when we would go in, you know, we would do the thing and the the improvisation. But, um, but we did have a, you know, as opposed to like Pineapple Express, where there was no source. Like we had we had a great source, and we knew we were telling this story. So, like I, it was a different kind of improvisation where it was like. I had listened to those tapes. Yeah. You know, I listened to them every morning when right. I was. You know, it's two and a half hours of. So
2: you were channeling him more than prosthetics. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I had to get down. I had to sort of ingrain the Tommyisms. You know, like for your information, yeah. not your five cents. This real American movie. All those th- things yeah. that he would say, uh, um, so that when I was improvising, that kind of stuff would come out. It wouldn't just be James improvising. It was filtered through Tommy. Yeah.
2: Uh, should we ask some questions and get some questions from the audience? Should we do that?
1: Anybody? Parallels with Tiny Tim. I, I know who Tiny Tim is. I know what he looks like. I don't know his story. I, I, my guess is Tommy, like, you're talking about, like, just aesthetically, like, his style. Um, There's some similarities. I think Tommy's influences are more, like, pirate uh, <laughs> vampires and uh, and like Michael Jackson, I think actually, yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. What makes it endemic? I th-
1: I endemic. really think the secret sauce is um, the heart that Tommy put into that movie. You know, he he was swinging for the fences, right? The fact that he kept it in the theaters for two weeks to qualify for the Oscars. That you know he would say about it this movie, um, you know, when they watch it, people will not be able to sleep for two weeks after watching this movie. You know, that's what he thought he was was doing. And um, and another thing, you know, that we kind of we kind of touch on in our movie. You know, Tommy does sort of hit a bottom. Judd Apatow tells him, like, you're never going to make it. You know, and, you know, his, basically his dreams are crushed. And that's when he makes the turn to make his own movie. In the book, it goes even a little darker, where Tommy is maybe even suicidal, and was leaving these messages on Greg's machine, like oh, "I don't want to live," uh, but I believe in God, and you know, it's kind of it was really dark. And then he showed up with this script, the room, and in the room, if you know the room, he commits suicide at the end of the movie. And, it, and in a way, I look at that, and it was so it's so moving because. He's doing what a, what every artist does, right? He's channeling his his life and his pain into the work, but it's also like the room just wasn't just like fulfilling his dream. It actually, in that sense, kind of saved his life, you know. The, and 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 so all that's underneath. I think you know, and and you can see that when you when you when you watch the room, you're like, wow, that guy's really trying hard. You just know it, you know. It's not he's not trying to be silly. As, as you know despite what he says now. And um, and there's something about the persona that he's taken on now, this this sort of affable arrogance mm. I, that I, 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 I don't I don't know this, but I, I feel like that is so key. It's a gift that Tommy gives because it allows it gives you permission to laugh. And it's not cruel because he's putting. It's like he's basically saying it's okay, you know. There's, um, like there's this movie that um that um, Jimmy Kimmel produced called Windy City Heat. Do you know that one? No. It's a whole other thing where there's this guy, Scary Perry, uh, who was on the comedy circuit in Chicago, and he was he was really bad, but he. So arrogant, and these guys—I um, uh, think his name Don Barris—and these other comedians were would mess with him for years and years, and then they did this whole thing where they created this fake movie, and they're like, you know, Yo Perry. Come out to, you know, you got to audition for it. You're up against De Niro and these other guys, but uh, you know, I think you got a good shot. And and they go through this whole thing. And um, Bobcat Goldwaith and all is the director, and all and they put on this whole thing. It's it's amazing and, and, and incredibly funny. Its premise is feels very cruel, but the guy is so arrogant, and he's like such, you know, he's like blatantly, like, homophobic and everything, and so it's, like, it's okay to laugh at him, you know what I mean? And um, and it's, I mean, it's just plain funny, um, but, like, there's something about that with Tommy where he actually is a really sweet guy, but the way that he takes credit for it and says, you know, I'm greatest director and whatever, like, he'll do, you know, at the beginning of the room, This the the greatest thing that he made since the room, is this little thing he puts in front where it's like, it. there's all these sayings, like all the criticism that he's ever received. And then it, it's always, each line ends with like this ex- explosion and it says, shame on you. So it's like, you say I don't intend it to be comedy, shame on you. You say I don't have script, shame on you. you say, like that kind of stuff, like actually what's happening is you're like this guy is so ridiculous and but like i kind of like him and it's okay to laugh at him because he's sort of in on the joke and sort of not and and um and then i think sorry for it's just such a long answer but i think there's also something like isn't like one of the concepts of comedy like why do we laugh at somebody slipping on a banana peel because it's not us you know what I mean? There's something to that where it's like everybody has dreams, you know. Everybody, and this guy swung so hard, and it and it is like there is like an like he spent his own money and all this stuff. Like there is, you know, this arrogance and that he's falling so hard on uh, you know on his face. That there's something to that too, but but there's a, then the. The flip, the magic, where it's not just cruel. It's like it, it's a it's a fun place to be. It's not you don't you don't feel nasty when you go and laugh at the room.
2: Yeah, it's like some of the the, <coughs> the comedy early comedy. The, 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 there's an arrogance to it as well. You see the banana peel, you step over it. I'm smarter than that, right? Then you go, oh, f-, you turn back, and then you fall. But if not for the arrogance in the beginning, yeah. it wouldn't be funny.
1: Yeah, I'm smart, it's almost than like that. he slips on it and he's like, "Yeah, I intend to do that." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> why?
2: selling banana slips.
1: Uh, another question? Yes. Yeah,
2: did he hate any part of the movie? Okay. No.
1: I have, uh, so I have a couple stories. Um, <laughs> so he didn't want to. He didn't want to watch it. Uh, alone we were we offered to screen it for him in private and he's like no i want to wait so he waited until we showed it at south by southwest with over a thousand people oh wow and so he's sitting there in the theater everybody knows he's there uh he's wearing his shades in the theater watching the movie (laughs) and fortunately it was the first you know public screening we did and fortunately it was an amazing screening and people were laughing and and standing ovation and everything but we kept looking over at tommy like down the row like what does he think what does he think and he he wasn't laughing like he just kept whispering to greg you know i found out later he was saying like did that happen i can't remember did that like, and uh so anyway we go do the q a i and i step off stage well there was this whole thing where we were like, oh, we can't bring him up on stage like cuz he he said about the book, famously like he's like, yeah, the book only 40% true. And we're like, well, we based the movie on the book, so, you know, you might not like the movie. And we didn't want to have like such a great screening and then bring him up and him say like, yeah, the movie bullshit or whatever. So, um <laughs> but the audience was doing Q&A and uh, asking questions and this guy came up and he goes, oh, by the way, I played Chris R. in the room, the Zach Efron character. And can I take a picture? And Seth Rogen's like, yeah, come on up. So he gets him on stage. I look out in the audience and Tommy's like 15 rows back, but I can just feel like there's a dark cloud like descending. And I don't know if it's that he's jealous that the guy's on the stage or he just hated the movie or what. So I'm like, all right, Tommy, come on up. And he won't come. And... The whole audience then stood up and started chanting his name, and so he came. That's you know that's what he wanted. But he comes up, Uh-oh. and um, we still don't give him the mic. I was I it was my yeah. biggest regret that I didn't give him the mic. I step off stage and I'm like, all right, what do you what do you think? And uh, he's like, yeah, I approve ninety nine point nine percent. And I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, oh thank thank God! I wish I'd given you the mic. And and I was like, so so what's the, what's the 0.1%? And he goes, um, and you think, you think he's going to be like, well, that didn't happen or whatever. He goes, um, and it's like, I realized it's like director to director talk. And he goes, um, I think, you know, I think you should look at lighting in the beginning of your film a little <laughs> off. And I'm like, and I did, but I only realized months later, I was like, you're wearing your, in shades during the whole thing, <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, uh, a little, un- little underexposed, exactly, yeah, and, <laughs> and then later, you know, in this show is like, what a great rewriter of history is, I told that story a few times, and then I didn't see him for months, and then we go to Toronto, first thing he says to me, he goes, you know, I hear that, yeah, the 99.9% story, it's true, but I never say the lighting, I'm like, Tommy, <laughs> I didn't make that up, yeah. you know, he's like, no, it because uh, because you wa- the way you throw football. And I'm like, oh, because you're, you're all American guy and you you know you throw football really well. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so anyway, and then uh, the last part was um, finally the third time he saw it was at the premiere uh, in LA at the um, Chinese Theater. What was so amazing about that night was when he had premiered his movie 14 and a half years before it wasn't at the chinese theater yeah. but he it was at a little theater on um, on Beverly and Fairfax that is closed but he had showed up at the chinese theater in his white stretch limo he had made all these sh- t-shirts that said the room and he he popped up out of the sunroof and threw the t-shirts at everybody that was waiting in front of the Chinese theater and he's like don't go see that movie you know i think it was like memento or something don't go don't go see that movie come see my movie and um, and so <laughs> there we were 14 and a half years later and i i was walked in with greg and tommy and my arms around him and i was like what do you you know here we are guys you know 14 and a half years later like what do you what are you thinking?" and and uh Tommy goes, ah, you don't you don't want to know what's in my mind. I'm like, no, I I do. I really want to know what you're thinking. He goes, Naked at beach. I'm like, what? Naked at the beach? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, all right. I didn't I didn't wanna didn't wanna know that. And uh He was right. Yeah, exactly. I I don't know if that's like what is that? Like, that's what he's thinking? Like, that's how he gets over his nerves? Or, like, I don't know what. But or we're naked at the beach? I don't know. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so then, but then, to uh, like, a week later, we were um, doing press. And um, after press, uh, Greg texted me and was like, hey, Tommy and I are at Cantor's Deli, which is, you know, what we where we shot the scene where they read the script, and was a, that's where they actually hung out. And he's like, we're at Cantor's. We've got the same waiter circa early 2000s that used to serve us. You should come and surprise Tommy. And I was like, okay. So I show up, and I call it like Honest Tommy Day. So first he he says, and he wasn't wearing the shades, so um, so I could look in his eyes, and, and he's like, you know, unprompted, he's like, you know, James, the room it's not exactly how i intended and i was like whoa wow you're admitting it and he's like yeah but you know people react to it you know and they get something from it and that's all you can hope for you know with movie and i was like wow that's cool um, and he goes and i watched your movie you know for the third time in chinese theater and it it, it very moving make me very emotional i was like what, really wow what's which scenes and uh and he goes, um, "Well, the scene I end, you know, when Greg give me advice, you know, because he really did that in life, and um, it really helped me. And he my best friend. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. And uh, I was like, and and what's what's the other scene? And he goes, uh, he goes, it's Greg scene. I'm like, Greg, Greg scene. What what does that mean? He goes, you know, scene where Greg in uh, Greg in swimming pool. And I'm like. <laughs> The swimming pool scene, he's, you're not even in that scene. He's talking to his girlfriend about like IMDB. Yeah. like That's your favorite scene? He's like, yeah, make me very emotional. <laughs> I'm like, why? I'm like, why? Why, Tommy? What, why? And he goes, because, you know, you're in swimming pool, a very happy place. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay. Beautiful. There you go. going to take two more questions.
2: Who's got, it? okay. Uh, who had their hand up long enough to be, uh, oh, you did. Okay. It's a great question because I was going to say that you walk a line with this and, and you all walk exactly the same line. It's really, you know, it's, there's a, how'd you, how'd you establish that as a director?
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was something, the tone and the balance of the tone was something that we thought about from the very beginning. So, and it, and it started with, it started with the book because, The room was already a phenomenon, but without the book and knowing that story, it would just, you know, the most you could maybe make was a spoof. But with the book, you know, the smartest thing that Greg Sestero ever did was to get Tom Bissell to, to write that book with him. And they took what could have been a series of silly anecdotes and turned it into this very moving universal thing that anybody with a dream can relate to. And so... We're like, that's our way in. And then the next step was like the screenwriters. We went out to Neustadt and Weber, who were not comedy writers. They were the relationship guys. They did 500 Days of Summer and Fault in Our Stars. And um, and so by going to them, we were, you know, showing, you know, we were aiming for a movie about the relationship, not a movie making fun of these guys. And so our our aim was always to make them sympathetic, to, you know, yes, show all the warts and, you know, all the craziness, but to make this a, um, relatable story about dreamers. And, um, and so Tommy, you know, after a while, the character of Tommy, you know, everybody everybody started loving it, you know? And they, you know, like I said, the writers were there the whole time and they'd give me, you know, suggestions and we'd all want to do, like, Tommyisms, and it was just fun. But we ended up actually cutting out a lot of it, you know, when it became too jokey, you know? Yeah, that we I had can imagine. To, yeah.
2: Because, because you're, you're having all the fun. You're being this it was so, It's character. so fun. And I you love, love telling these Tommy stories. And you, you, you have a lot it. of terrific actors on there who also would love... A little bit of that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it must have been really, uh yes. really hard for you. To and then, and did you? How did you? Did you just let them go for it, or did you direct them on? You know, when you're in, after the scene, did you say, "Yeah, oh, a little too much"? This, 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 yeah, or, I mean,
1: I think we knew, like, what we knew was like the circumstances were always going to be funny. They would deliver. Yeah. It was just that you know sometimes in the improv it would just be like, "Oh yeah, I just want to do this one or this," you know, and and we try it. And we'd have it in the edit and it would just be like, mm, no, it's it's too cute. It's did you too shoot with multiple or, cameras? Did you shoot with two cameras um, at the same time or to, to pick up the improv, or did you? Um, sometimes, but this was actually, Brandon Trost, the, the DP, um, had worked on a lot. He did the interview and in This Is The End. Um, but um, on this one, we shot it. It was closer to kind of what he was doing with um, Diary of a Teenage Girl where for a lot of time, it was it was just yeah. one camera, and you can see like on those yes. like the behind the scenes, you know, set scenes. It, it's you know it's this roving kind of mm-hmm. camera, so there actually wasn't a you know a lot of two camera stuff for that. But mm-hmm. um, um,
2: you just held the takes long enough to be able to to, to improvise. Which, yeah, to yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah.
1: So it was yeah. sort of a it, this movie is sort of an amalgamation of different things that I've done and and Mm -hmm. maybe Seth has done and, you know, this whole group has done Mm -hmm. where it's, it's not an, it's definitely not an out-and-out comedy like Pineapple Express or something like that, obviously, right? Um, But, um, and so there's a, it's spine is more of a a relationship story or a love story, you know, but um, we did use some techniques from the, you know, we did improvise. It was just, it just, was a, it just worked a little differently? You Try know. to find the truth, perhaps. Of the scene, yeah, you know, exactly, this exactly. Like, but and then as far as the, how I established the the tone, I mean, the, the actors will tell you I I did stay in character um, on on you know while I was directing. I mean, I, I asked we were in L.A. last night, um, and I was like, we couldn't we couldn't come up with another example of a, a movie where the director was acting in it playing a director who's acting in his own movie and then stayed in character some guy was like came up after him. he's like um white hunter black heart but i i just feel like my guess is eastwood did not like stay in character when he was directing this yeah 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 um i haven't seen that in a long time but um uh he's playing houston right or it's based on houston yeah 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 and um anyway it it just sort of made it easier. There were all those sort of meta levels. It just made it easier to just, and I had the prosthetics on and everything, and and I think it did help the atmosphere, you know, for the other actors who were playing the actors in the room to just, like, stay with Tommy. And it, and it wasn't that confusing. It was just to be, you know, because we were doing some scenes where we'd improvise and we'd just keep it going, and sometimes I'd say, like, Kyla's okay, has gone or something, and, yeah. and it'd be like, is that James or Tommy? Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. But... On the other hand, you know, there's this amazing documentary that just came out on Netflix called Jim and Andy, where it, it's the footage of Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman. Jim went so far into Andy Kaufman that Jim was gone. I couldn't, I couldn't do that, and I didn't. I don't think it would have helped on this movie if I just like James was gone, and all you get is like Tommy's actual direction, like Tommy's. Famously, Tommy's direction and like the auditions and stuff would be like, "Your sister lesbian, she just died. Go." <laughs> and you're just like, "The fuck? That's what? <laughs> you know? Like, I wasn't doing that. You know, I was James giving direction, just filtered yes, yes. through Tommy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Any more questions? Oh, who was who was the other one? With the, okay, over here. Yes, please. The montage.
1: Yeah. I. Um. It's funny. Last night at the screening. Um. Um, at, at the Academy, um, there was two guys that came up to me, um, that one had been the manager, the, the location manager or something at Burns and Sawyer, the rental house where Tommy bought all the stuff and, um, and then where they actually shot, like, you know, at a rental house, just like a garage. Um. And then there was another guy that had worked with Panasonic who also knew Tommy from back in the day. And they were like, first of all, they were like, yeah, that was, that's, we love that. You got it. That was it. That's what it was like. But he, they remind, they told me that Tommy, they're like, we loved the, the talking heads in the beginning. That we, you know, not a lot of people are going to get that, but um, but we loved it. And I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And they're like, Tommy, Used to go around the room screenings, and do little interviews like that, and have people talk about the room like just like that. I didn't know that. It was for us. For us, it was um, sort of inspired by um, uh, Reds, where you know you had actual people talking about you know um, Reed and um, uh, Sweet and Low Down, you know, um, because we needed. We were actually at one point considering, they weren't always in there. We were at one point considering um, putting footage of actual Tommy up front because people that didn't know the room might look at my performance and be like, wow, Franco's really swinging for the fence and like (laughs) going a little over the top there with that character. And we like wanted people to know, like, no, that's what exactly what it's like. Um, But to have real people there talking about, and real fans, all those people really love it. Um, It's amazing to have J.J. Abrams in there, but um, um, that that would sort of maybe give the impression, okay, this. but people didn't know like, no, this is real. This is like a real thing, yeah.
2: Well, it's a terrific film and you're wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, you, you. Paul.
0: Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. And stay tuned for more episodes, including Craig Gillespie's I, Tanya*, Steven Spielberg's The Post, and Scott Cooper's Hostiles. Be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.